When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Speaking, you're listening to episode 101 of See Here Podcast. This show is proudly part of the Pantheon Network of Music Discussion Podcasts. If this is your first time on board, See Here is a show dedicated to the discussion of music-related cinema through roundtable discussions and also through interviews. Welcome on board if this is your first time listening. Unfortunately, neither of my regular co-hosts are available for today's show. Uh, as you know, if you've been listening for the last few months, Tim is on sabbatical and hopefully we'll get him back start of next year, I'm guessing. Bernie wasn't around at the time I needed to record this interview, so it's just me and our guest. But who is that guest? Well, you possibly already know if you've gone and read the liner notes that have come with this episode of the show. But just in case you haven't, this time around, I'm speaking with a director, Amit Itzkar. He's the director of a wonderful new film called Furious and Fast, the story of fast music and the patiphone. Basically, it's about a record label and a club that were linked in the late 90s to first few years of the 2000s in Tel Aviv. And it's a fascinating story because there were so many great acts who are on this independent label. And this was at a time where independent labels were not necessarily a thing in Israel. So I really found this film terrific to watch and to get some knowledge of a whole bunch of acts that I had absolutely no inkling of. I know a bunch of the classic rock acts that have come out of Israel over the last few decades, but I didn't know any of these acts apart from one. And I didn't actually work that out until later that I knew who she was. But more of that in the interview, it was really exciting to have Amit on the show and talk with me not just about the film and about the acts on fast music or those that appeared at the putty phone but also about some of his work before and after having made the film his day job at the tel aviv cinematheque so we're going to go now and play the trailer for the film and then i'll be back 
for you to listen to the interview that I had with Amit. And after that, I'll be back to talk about what is happening next month on See Here, episode 102. זה הלייבל היחיד שיש לו זכות קיום, לייבל שהלהקות בו חברות, שהלהקות בו ביחד. שתי הלהקות האלה בעצם, גם שייגלס וגם פאנקינג, נורא רצינו להצליח ולפרוץ ולהגיע לקהל ולשחק אותה. לאנשים פטריפון הבית או לא, מה זה משנה אם יש להם או לא? משנה מה אתה רוצה לעשות. אתה רוצה שדבר הזה יישמע בן זונה, אז אתה מוציא אותו לוויניל. לואו פייל קיצוני. פתאום אתה עושה את זה לבד, זה היה תחושה של חלוציות. Welcome back to episode 101 of the See Here podcast, and I'm extremely happy to be having on the show with me the director of the new film Atzvani Umahir Hasipur Shel Hafast Music, the Hapatifon, otherwise known as Furious and Fast, the story of fast music and the patiphone. Amit Itzka, thank you very much for uh, being on See Here. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. And greetings from Israel. Am I the first English language interview that you're doing for the film? Uh, for the film, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did some uh, Hebrew, but uh, in English, yeah, you're the first. Oh, well, good. May I be the first of many. Congratulations on the release of the film Furious and Fast. And I just want to say at the outset, I really, really love the film. And it presented a music scene in Israel that I knew nothing of. I know the classic rock staples like Kaveret and Mashina and Shalom Hanoch and uh, Arik Einstein. But the bands in your film are like a generation beyond that. A couple of years ago, I was introduced by my partner on the show, Bernard Stickwell, to uh, the music of Charlie Maguire, uh, which comes closest to what's presented in this film. The film, as I said, is a love letter to this particular music scene in the late 90s to the early 2000s in Tel Aviv. So before we get into speaking about the film itself and the music presented in, I wanted to just ask you a bit about your own background. When did you sort of gain an interest in becoming a filmmaker and what was your original interest? What was your original love in music? First of all, my interest in filmmaking, I grew up as a video store uh, kid. You know, I used to hang out a lot in uh, video stores ever since I was uh, like three or four years old. <laughs> and after that, I worked for uh, a lot of years in the video store mm-hmm. to pay my uh, 
filmmaking studies. And I always loved music, of course. Actually, my first band that I really loved, my first favorite band was in, was in Excess from Australia. Oh, so uh, <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Most people do. After that, I got into a lot of the alternative music from uh, the USA, you know, like Pixies and Sonic Youth and all this stuff. And when I started studying uh, cinema, I had a class in uh, documentary filmmaking. And second year of studying, I had to uh, do a short documentary. By this time, I started going to rock shows, to Israeli uh, rock shows. I was like 24, 25, and to lots of uh, small uh, music venues in, in Tel Aviv. And one of these places was the Patiphon, the club that uh, this movie is about. And over there, I encountered this teenager high school band called The Disposables. Uh, some of them are in this film, and I decided to make a documentary about them. I watched uh, a lot of music documentaries like Dig just came out, Dig about uh, the Brian Johnston massacre. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved Instrument about Fugazi. It was an amazing film. Did you see it? Uh, no, I haven't. No. You should see it. It's one of the best. And I was very influenced by this kind of film. So I decided to make uh, my documentary about an Israeli noise band. So I did the film about them. It was like 30 minutes short film. You can watch it on YouTube. I have actually. And I'll put in a link in the show notes later on but people should get a chance to watch that if they can it's not very good filmmaking but i love i still love it and i love the band it was like my first film i guess how does a band feel about the uh, film nowadays actually the band is not active anymore but the individual members of the band do they look back at that and do they say oh yeah that's still who we are or oh did we say that no I don't think they uh, think about it so much a lot. They're in the, the new film also, so they like it, they love it very much. Some of them have done some great things in music, you know, from this small uh, music venue in Tel Aviv. One of them is worked with Court Vile and the Black Angels, did some great things. We'll talk about it later when we talk about the people in the film. So I made this uh, three-hour movie, and I always thought that someday I should go back to this place and make a bigger film film about the entire scene. I used to hang out there a lot. Some of my best years of music were quite there. Uh, I used to hang out like every day for some years uh, in this place and it influenced me a lot. So I always uh, wanted to go back and make a film about it. So I did actually (laughs) 15, 16 years later. But there's a moment very early on in the film where you're narrating just a little bit about yourself and your connection to the Patiphon and your words are very strong. You say that this venue, this tiny venue, which I think some people say only housed 50 at capacity, but it was like seeing bands at this venue, seeing them at the Patiphon was like seeing the Sex Pistols and Velvet Underground, but better than you you could ever imagine seeing those iconic bands. What was it that you felt so strongly about the Patiphon and presumably all the other people who went there? Well, it it was more like uh, a commune, a house for different scenes of music. The great thing about it that it was small, so all of the people were very connected to one another. They were very supporting one of each other, and it was like a family. 
And some of my best friends are still from there. I met them there and they're still my best friends. Like I said in the beginning of the film, I didn't want to make a film about myself. I mean, I was a part of it, but as a crowd, but this film is about them. And I say that I'm not, I, I never got to be a musician. I never got to play guitar. I never su succeeded in playing guitar, but every time I was there, I felt like a rock star. I like to jump on the stage and sing with the bands and they were okay with it. You know? <laughs> so the least I could do was to make a film about them and uh, the influence about me and a lot of people, I guess. It's interesting that you bring up the word commune because that's exactly what was going on in my head. I think there was talk in the film about how a lot of the musicians would come off stage and then go back out and help in the bar or go help in doing things that helped kept the place running yeah no one was was expecting to be rich from this place you know it's like this very small place like the side of a room and didn't make any money of it i guess so they have to make it out of love and that means you know like to work there for free and to clean the place after the shows and to, to bartend whatever they could do i want you to sort of if you can just paint a picture in the period before Patifon, so like for the core of the 90s, for instance, yeah. what was the Israeli music scene like? I'm not talking about bands from England and the US or Australia that Israelis were listening to on the radio that they liked, but specifically like Israeli bands that people were digging, both in the mainstream and in the alternative scene. I think someone in the film goes and says they were taking their influences off, you know, some of the sorts of bands that you, you know, you mentioned like Fugazi and all the other alternative bands, the grunge bands coming out of out of Seattle. And uh, I don't know if they were taking influences out of Britpop, but it seems like that was like a few years after the fact. So what was actually happening in the 90s with Israeli musicians? What happened in the 90s was very interesting in Israel because in the beginning of the 90s, there was like a blast of Israeli alternative bands, like in 90 till 1994. Lots of uh, small indie bands were uh, signed by major record labels. It was like a booming of a uh, thing. And there were clubs, big clubs that bands played over. And people really liked rock music. There were festivals, lots of shows. Then in uh, 1995, two things happened in Israel that influenced the music scene. One of them was there was a big festival in which it was called Arad Festival in a city called Arad on the south of Israel. And there was like, it's called Arad Festival Disaster. There was a show there where people got crashed to death. Some uh, three teenagers died over there. And the second thing that happened was that Itzhak Rabin was murdered, the prime minister of Israel. So after that, the radio kind of stopped to... Everybody was in the mood of sad mood, you know, in Israel after the murder. And the radio station started playing soft music and quiet music, you know, to make... Nobody wanted to make a loud noise, you know. So uh, lots of the band in that time got separated. And the radio station and the main radio stations... We're just playing this crappy uh, <laughs> soft music, you know. There was even a, it was even called Soft Weekend on the radio. That was the main title. And some of the people in the film, they were still making this dirty noise rock music, but 
nobody would play them on the radio. So they had to uh, make their own thing. And so in the 90s, they started making these small show venues and the Patiphon was one of the main ones. Were there any other band venues like the Patiphon at the time in Tel Aviv? I mean, I, I heard someone at the start of the films, like when you're showing the night that the Patiphon closed and someone said, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem to go to uh, the Uganda. I'm guessing that that was a similar sort of venue. But were there many venues like the Patiphon in Tel Aviv or, or anywhere, in Haifa or in, in Jerusalem? There were, but they're not a lot like the Patiphone. They were bigger. There were mid-sized, you know, there was one called the Japan. There was the Barbie, which is still active. But most of them didn't last for long. They were like for two, three, four years maximum because there wasn't a lot of crowd. I mean, there was a crowd, but not like it was in the early 90s. The music people, most of the Israeli people loved by that time was not that kind of music. So they had to keep it kind of small. When I was in Israel in 96, and I think they just released the final concert album of uh, the group Machina, who um, I believe were absolutely hugely popular. They were, I mean, certainly not an indie style band, but they weren't like what you're calling quiet music either. And it seemed like people were still sort of like going for what they were doing. But maybe that's just because they'd been around a long time already. Machina was kind of an anomaly in that time. They started out in the 80s and they were the biggest band in Israel for many years. And people still uh, love them, still love them till today. They're a great band. Actually, the Arad Festival disaster was happened in a Machina concert. So. Oh. Oh, well, wow. Let's get to talking a bit about Fast Music, which is the label that a lot of these bands that played the Patiphone were on. So for the people who are listening to this who haven't seen the film, which unless there's someone in Israel who's listening to this, will probably be everyone at the moment. The film focuses a lot on the two guys who actually created Fast Music, Amir Shaw and Amir Rosiano, otherwise known as Django. For the listeners out there who have no idea about Fast Music, the label, just talk us a little bit about who these two gentlemen were and what was their motivation to start up the Fast Music label. Okay, so Django was, we call him Django and Amir. Uh, Django was a member of one of the successful bands I talked about it in the early 90s. They were called the Robert Estot. success and he was relatively famous by this time. He released two solo albums by that time also. And Amir Show was a sound guy. 
he was part of his band, but he was the behind the scenes guy. You know, he recorded them and not in the front. And two of them were very disappointed by the mainstream industry, by the interference of the producers and the suits in their music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they decided to make a small label of their own, to be separated from the main industry and do their own thing. So that's how they started Fast Music and oh, later the Patiphon Club, because the bands that were in this label had no place to uh, perform. So they had to make their own club for the artists and later lots of artists from other places came and played there and that's it basically i can't remember who it was but someone in the film said that at the time that amir and django went and created fast music making an independent label was almost unheard of in israel i mean were there absolutely no other independent labels in israel at the time doing what these guys were doing there were some but not a lot there was fact records and there were kit records but most of them did it you know they were releasing cdrs burned cds right they were not very prominent in this this scene and fast music they were the first to release to really uh, get into this label thing and released it on vinyls in which was like suicide you know because no one no one had patiphones in israel uh, record players in israel by that time but they released it on vinyls because they had record players and they loved the sound of it so they went all the way with their dream so yeah they were doing that long before the record revival came back didn't yeah, they? Didn't yeah. They? yeah like a decade before you've even got a special section in the film it's almost like you stop the story to say right we're gonna have 10 minutes where all the musicians talk about how much they love records as a medium yeah. over everything else yeah that's important because i felt it was important to show uh, and i guess i succeeded because you know everyone now listens to uh, vinyls you could say that fast music was a trendsetter yeah they were the, the revival of vinyl in Israel, mm. I guess, in a small scale. <laughs> Did Hedatsi follow in their wake? And for those listeners out there, Hedatsi is like the big label, the biggest label and also a distributor yeah. in Israel. Were, were the records that Fast Music were creating, were they sold like to the wider public? Was it a big deal, uh, these artists? And we will talk about some of these artists in further detail in a few you know, minutes. They released like between 100 and 200 copies of every title so you can say it was a big success in these terms but major record labels and by that time in Israel didn't release they were only releasing CDs only a few years ago when everyone in the world returned to listen to vinyls so the big labels in Israel uh, also uh, started to release uh, music on uh, vinyls and reissuing old stuff but by the time of the fast music they were the only ones who released vinyls Has anyone taken on those recordings and done reissues of those albums because you know 200 copies each doesn't yeah, they're, like they are very much. rare they yeah. are very rare they cost a lot of money today if you can find them problem is that everyone who has a copy bought it because he loved it so much so not a lot of them are uh, selling it uh, even for uh, more money yeah yeah, yeah sure. but a few years ago the third year which is like the biggest record store in israel the main record store in israel in tel aviv reissued michal kaan's first vinyl which came out first in fast music and they released it again in their uh, label that was a good thing from them but most of them you can only listen now if you get a CD copy or on uh, YouTube. Nobody bothered to uh, upload them to Spotify. 
But there is plenty on YouTube, which is where I basically went and listened to a lot of this stuff. And I'll be sprinkling a few songs here and there throughout the episode so people can get an idea of what it is that we're actually talking about. And I will get back to a few of the individual artists that um, I've really, really enjoyed and found fascinating. In your short film, The Disposable, I'll Hate Myself in the Morning, there's a very brief appearance by Charlie McGuire. And for those listeners out there who don't know the name, go back. I can't remember what episode number, but Bernie and I spoke with director Boaz Goldberg, who's a film director and was a close friend of Charlie's. And we spoke a lot about his music and his legacy. But did Charlie ever play at the party phone or was he just there to see the disposables or see other bands? Did he ever play there? He played there a few shows, but he wasn't part of the label. His main career in Israel was more in the Zimmer Club, which was another scene in Tel Aviv. Okay. So he's more connected to that scene. Uh, but he performed in the Patiphon, yeah, of course. Mm. There's even a part in the Boaz film in the beginning and throughout the film that he plays in the Patiphon. Now that I recognize what the club looks like, because you have that blue wall behind. wall with the thing in the back, I might have to go back to Boaz's film and then I'll say, ah, I recognize it now. Yeah. He used to hang out there, of course. Most of the people in the indie scene uh, uh, hang out there. start of the film, once again, coming to this whole thing about the last night of the existence of the club, there's uh, like one musician who describes it as a shitty venue and another one who said that with the party phone's closure, Tel Aviv is going to go to hell. Are they both right? <laughs> They're exaggerating, but... Uh... <laughs> There is still good music in Tel Aviv, different styles, and Tel Aviv uh, went to hell, but not for, for that reason. <laughs> All the world went to hell, but it was a few years uh, later. Right. But Tel Aviv is still existing in some way. In the film, Amir and Django talk a lot about creating the label to have greater control of their musical output. And I think they were saying, like, at the time before Hedazi realized, oh, we better jump on this, Hedazi would would not have normally touched a lot of the bands that fast music went and put out. But Django himself, as you've already indicated, had something of a mainstream career before starting yeah. fast music. And I've actually listened to, uh, I think it's his second album on YouTube. And I loved it. I got to say, I really, really liked it. I and mean, it did sound like a lot of singer-songwriter rock from the period, but that's something that I really, really enjoy. It's a great album. I love it also. It's a, it's a fantastic record. He has issues with it, you know. That's the thing I wanted to ask you about because I don't remember if it's Django himself or if it's Amir who says that Django hated those early records. No, he hated this uh, specific record. His first album, he loved it. He made it with Amir. And then the second album, Amir wasn't involved. They took uh, someone else to uh, record it. That was in a big uh, record label and they interfered in the recording and Django didn't like the result. He's still uh, doing songs from this era in his shows, but he didn't like the production process. Okay, I wasn't sure if it had something to do with bad memories of record company interference or he just thought that that was a terrible 70s 
set of songs. No, we still perform some of these songs. There are great songs, you know. about a few of the acts who are in the film or on the fast music roster. And I was speaking with one of my partners from the show who's unfortunately taking a few months off, but I asked him if he'd heard of Monotonics and he said, yes, absolutely. You know, he's a huge, huge fan. And it seems like they'd found worldwide success. I didn't even realize till I looked it up that they'd been to Australia. I obviously wasn't paying attention at the time. But the footage you showed of Ami Shalev, who was the drummer of the band, he was you know, an absolute wild man a real force of nature uh, the music it itself was the main singer and also a drummer but it, it was another drummer but he was the lead singer ah uh, okay but he did do some drum yeah. he, he speaks about like his first experience as a drummer playing on uh, Yomatsmut um, and, yeah yeah uh, he was he, he's still a drummer he, uh, his main instrument is a drummer but in Monotonics he was like the lead singer so he's like Monotonics is Dave Grohl yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I'd read some stuff where some people were saying like Monotonics were the most exciting band in Israel and maybe one of the most exciting bands in the world. All sorts of crazy things like, you know, the guitar play would play the one chord like a drone for 40 minutes. And at other shows, Ami Shalev was doing things like sticking a drumstick up his ass. Um, (laughs) What's the story with that band? How did they start? And was the Patty Phone like the first venue that they ever played? It started as a band called Mono Addicted Acid Men, which were a trio, and they played the show with one chord. And after that, Ami was very quiet and kept to himself kind of person. He <laughs> wasn't really, he wasn't like this crazy performer that you saw later in the monotonics but he went to he talks about it in the film he went to uh, the usa for a few months and he went to lots of shows where there was no uh, stage and a lot of house shows and there he saw that you can perform in other ways you know you don't have to to stand uh, still on a stage and do the same uh, set of songs he searched for something beyond you know to be more with the crowd and to make the show more of a tribal thing. So he came back to Israel and they started the monotonics and the first shows, of course, were in the Patiphon. And uh, it grew and it grew to other places. And they started touring the world with Silver Jews and they performed with pavements also. And they made many tours around the world. Like they played like, I don't know, like 300 shows a year. Wow. Around the world. Yeah, they but uh, in Israel, not a lot of the places wanted them to perform because, you know, <laughs> they crashed the place. And uh, so after a while, they stopped performing entirely in Israel and just performed overseas. 
Yep. And they became this amazing band. I got to be there when they uh, started the band. I was in the first show and it was amazing. You know, right from the beginning, you, you knew it was going to be a great thing. You didn't know it was going to be this huge thing. But you knew that it was something else. You know, you didn't see anything like it before in Israel. And I guess it worked around the world also. People really got into their shows, you know. You can search for YouTube and hundreds of videos of people from all of their shows around the world. I listened to one of the albums and it struck me as being sort of like a mixture between garage rock, but with a real strong groove, you know, maybe almost a little bit of a funk influence, but, uh, but you know, essentially like an you know, exciting garage rock band. If you listen to it only on a record in your house, it's a different kind of experience. The main thing of this band was the live shows. Right. If you want to to experience the full uh, monotonics experience, you, you had to be in the shows. You had to get spit on by Amishalev. <laughs> <laughs> so was he Gigi Allen? Not really. He didn't uh, shit on the, uh, the crowd or anything <laughs> like this. But, uh, but yeah, he showed his ass and uh, there were things that not all the people liked. Uh, they got into fights in the shows sometimes. But once even they broke his shoulder... But the shows were very fun, you know. It was from it was uh, shows of love, you know. It's not like it didn't come and made a fight with the audience just for spite, you know. Right. It was like a, a tribal gathering. Wow, that footage in the film definitely showed they were very exciting, and he was a showman, very much a showman. The crowd loved him a lot, you know. It was uh, really amazing. The show venue owners, not so much. <laughs> No, I don't blame him. So another band that is spoken about a bit in the film or was on the Fast Music label was the Astroglides. Yeah. Me being something of a fan of surf music, I certainly like the surf guitar, but this was taken to the max. This is taken a whole lot further. They called it surf core. Okay. So what's what's the story of the Astroglides? Actually started in the punk scene uh, in the place called the Left Bank, Agadas Malik, which was in Tel Aviv. It's a venue that is also a club and gathering place for Israeli communists and Israeli left-wing parties. And then they met with Django and he invited them to join Fast Music and to join to form in the club. And they brought the entire punk scene with them to the Patiphon. Amir Shaw talks about in the movie, punks always get thrown out of places. <laughs> uh, they're always looking for a new home. And they found it in the Patiphon. It wasn't smooth move because they had also clashes with the Patiphon owners, uh, the punk thing, and it was not bed and roses, like, <laughs> it's kind of stunk. But until the end of the Patiphon, it was the main home for uh, punk music in uh, uh, Israel. And the Astroglides, when did they sort of discover that doing surfcore rather than straight up punk was of interest to them? After that, uh, Leo from the Astroglide, 
he started his own label, Shaking Records, and he started working also with Charlie Maguire, and it was a different thing. Mm-hmm. But it started in the Patiphone. They released their first albums in the fast music. So the album I heard was Penetrate with the Astro Glides. Yeah. There's some things which in there which I'm listening to thinking, oh, I'm glad I got the headphones on. But uh, <laughs> I don't even think I want to mention it on a family-friendly show like this. But <laughs> the last person I sort of wanted to talk a bit about, and she's quite a fair bit talking in the film, is uh, Michal Kahan, who at first I thought I didn't know who she was, and then realized that she was Hefka Girl, who had recorded with Charlie Maguire. So I can't remember for sure, but I probably saw her in Boaz's documentary as well. And she has probably one of the great lines in the film. She says to you, I'm not sure this is worth making a film about. Yeah. But I listened to one of her albums, and it's actually the one that we see a lot, the front cover of in the film, where she's sitting at the piano wearing 1950s horn-rimmed glasses, playing the piano, and looks like she's singing at the top of her voice. But that album is something that really, really appealed to me. It sort of sounded more like 60s pop. And uh, yeah. just yeah, talk to me a little bit about her background and what she was doing at the time. Well, she started also in a rock band called Wet Bones in Israel, and then she met Ami, and they started making music together, and they uh, recorded the two albums in their own. Uh, they were a couple, and they released it on Fast Music. And then there is like this, then she met uh, Charlie McGeer, but I don't want to get into all this stuff. And then she started to perform with uh, Charlie and became the Fker Girl. But her two solo albums... Uh, came out on the fast music. They're very different from one another. The first one, which was the one that we issued by the third ear, is the first one. And the second one is the album. It's entirely in Spanish and it's dirty, raunchy, uh, garage stuff. Is she still working? She isn't making music anymore. She's into astrology. But uh, a few years ago, when they reissued the vinyl, she did a small show with Ami, the release of the album. Uh, you can see it on YouTube. It's a very small show, but she's not into music anymore. She left it behind. Too bad, I guess, because mm. she made some amazing music. Do many of the artists in the film still make music? The Putty Front and the Fast Music label closure is one thing, but did artists move on to record? Many of the artists move on to record on other labels. And for that matter, did Fast Music inspire more independent labels to be created? I don't think they... It inspired a lot of people, uh, fast music, but more in the way to record music independently. I don't sure it influenced people to start their own labels because, you know, what is a label? You know, now you can record music in your home and release it in straight into a band camp and YouTube. You don't have to go through all this uh, label thing. You don't have to release it in physical media even. Mm. But there are a few uh, labels in Israel after that. Not all of the people, uh, fortunately, are... Uh, 
are still making music. People from the music from the label. Some of them moved on. Some of them are still making music. But the music remains. Like you said, <laughs> the music is forever. Thank goodness that you've gone and created this film. It's a it's a testament to that time, which really, in hindsight, was not that long ago. But it's educational for music fans like myself outside of Israel to sort of see that there was something that important. Were Amir and Django happy to? go along with this project of you making the film? Were they skeptical at first thinking, you know, Amit, that's a period of our lives, forget it, we've moved on, or were they instantly happy to talk? And for that matter, everyone else who appears in the film, because you have a lot of people from the scene who who speak to you. Yeah, I got uh, made like 70 interviews with people. Actually, the main characters of the label were very skeptical about it. Like you say, they say, we moved on, don't uh, touch the thing. There were also some issues between of the people, you know, not all of them remain close friends like they were. And uh, not all of them wanted to touch at that time period. But uh, I managed to uh, get them to talk. And I think they're uh, happy they did it because it's good to talk about things, you know, it's it's not it's not good to leave things open behind and most of them got good closure from this thing everyone on this movie loved this movie that's the most important i'm really happy to hear as i mean i said at the start this film is a love letter to that yeah. period to that time i didn't want to touch you know, all this yellow stuff it's a fun movie you know the music was great and like you say, it's a love letter. You've probably already sort of answered this indirectly anyway, but I'll sort of bring this up. Now, only yesterday, I discovered that there was a film called Jericho's Echo, Punk Rock in the yeah. Holy Land, made by, a, I think, an American filmmaker. And it shows a lot about the punk scene in Israel, possibly from the same period. I mean, I haven't seen the film. I've only seen the trailer. But it looked like it was more of a film that was focusing a lot on the politics of uh, Israel yeah. at the time. What separated people and your film is completely not that your film is focusing on the music and i'm i have to say i think it's all the better for doing it like that but was there ever any time where you considered maybe you wanted to talk a little bit about how this was like what you said at the start of the interview this was a reaction to the arad festival and to the murder of of yitzhak rabin at any time did that sort of occur to you to that you wanted to talk about the politics it went through my mind also in the time that they started the party from club there was uh, the second intifada in Israel but I didn't want to touch the politics stuff it's a movie about a place that was kind of a bubble from the outside world they didn't care about the outside industry and what people said about them they just made what they love and I wanted to focus about that mm-hmm. that small place that was like their own world all of the life was invested in this place so uh... Uh, look as I said I think the film is all the better for you having made it like that there's all these people's expectations uh, everything's going to link back to what's happening in Israel at any period yeah. and it doesn't always have to I think it's definitely for the better that you've done it like that Thank you. I want to move a little bit away from the film for a little bit just to ask you so i while i was uh, sort of going down a couple of rabbit holes i saw some video clips which i'm presuming you directed for a band called law 
and saw these three film clips where you're actually the protagonist. I didn't direct those videos. A friend of mine, uh, Guy Shemi, who is the singer and the guitar player of the band Low, he directed them by himself. I'm just starring in it. So, okay, so there was this, um, like, the first of the three songs that I watched was Yeshli uh, Chavera, I Have a Girlfriend, yeah. and of course the visuals are completely the opposite of <laughs> what you hear in just in the lyrics. I'm not sure whether to say it's very, very funny or very, very sad all at the same time, but how did you get involved with Law and why did they choose to ask you to uh, be the protagonist of all these film clips? <laughs> Well, Guy, like I said, he was a good friend of mine. He played in the band called The Girls that's shown in, the, in my movie, actually. Uh, we were good friends and uh, we still are. He wanted me to uh, be in their videos because I don't know if you know, but I was in a very successful TV show in Israel. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm also an actor sometimes. I started with a little uh, web show called Mashiach. Sayach in English that became very successful and TV network bought us and they made the two TV seasons and it's kind of a cult series in Israel. So I'm kind of a known phase in Israel. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so I started in the, so I, I he asked me to star in these videos. Actually, uh, the video we talked about, uh, I have a girlfriend, it's, it's a cover song of uh, uh, one of the most successful bands in Israel called T-Pex, oh. which uh, the original song is a very happy, uh, upbeat song. Okay. And it took it to the other direction. <laughs> ואני אוהב אותה, הוא משתדל תמיד להיות איתה, יוצאים לרחוב אני שם אפטר שהביא עושה דפיקות I've now got double respect for it. I, I, I love this song. You should listen to the original. It's, it's very different. It's also a very good song, but it's very different. And the guy was the backliner for uh, T-Pex by the time. He also he listened to this song lots of time and he made the cover of this, of this song. <laughs> I got to say, I listened to all three songs that you were in the film clip for, and I, I'm now going to go out and buy a law album um i'm hoping that's on physical media because i'm still a physical media actually guy. the two albums were released on cds and great uh, they're now working on the new music and they're going to release a new album so your day gig nowadays is uh working at the tel aviv cinematech which yeah. i'm i don't know i'm guessing it must be a lot of fun i sent you a message yesterday saying that i'd watched uh the video of you sitting on stage, presumably with the intention of moderating a Q&A with Henry Winkler. But once yeah. he started talking, you couldn't get a word in edgewise. It was quite funny. What's your, actually your main role at the Tel Aviv Cinematheque? I'm an uh, assistant programmer in uh, Tel Aviv Cinematheque. I'm a content editor over there. I've worked there for the last 11 years or so. It's very fun. You know, it's a job, but it's very fun. 
And these days, actually, we, we're working on a new film festival, a music film festival. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's going to be in November. It's the first one in Israel, the first music film festival in Israel. We're going to show great movies there. And I'm one of the team behind this uh, festival. What are some of the films that are going to be programmed for the uh, festival? I can't talk a lot about all of them because not the entire program has been released yet, but we're going to show uh, the new films about uh, Lydia Lange. Okay. And she's also going to do a spoken word show before the film. Fantastic. And we're also going to show Freak Scene, it's the movie about Dinosaur Jr., which is a great film, and the movie about Idols. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, it's very good. Ah, the new King Crimson film. Oh, I tried reaching out to Robert Fripp's management saying, can we speak to the director or Robert Fripp? And of course, they wouldn't get back to me. Yeah, Toby, the director of the film, is also a good friend with Ami Shalev and uh, used to film Monotonics back in the day. Mm. And it's a great film, the King Crimson film. Oh, um, I'd love to see it. That's a fantastic job. So I presume that there's a very healthy film culture in Tel Aviv. Uh, yeah, yeah. People in Israel really love watch movies. And after COVID, of course, people are eager to go out and to gather with other people to experience cinema. And music and film together, it's the best thing in the world. That's why we made a podcast about it. I mean, I think locally, we've got like the Melbourne Film Festival. Uh, Melbourne International Film Festival and every year for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years they've been curating a, a music film portion and had, have had some great stuff. We have the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which has a few music films, but man, I just wish it was somewhere I could go every week to see on a cinema screen a music-related film. So how has uh, Fast and Furious been received by the general public, by musicians, by people who are film fans who may not necessarily be full-on music fans or even have been part of that scene? How has it been received in general? It's received amazing. Uh, it got great reviews in the newspapers on the, and the and internet, and uh, it's been shown like for the last three months in Tel Aviv and in other places in Israel. I guess like two or 3,000 people already saw it on cinema, which is a lot for a entirely independent film with no uh, production company and no uh, distribution company. I travel the film a lot in Israel. I'm attending every screening because I like to see the people reactions to it. Like I say, it got great reviews, uh, but it's still in Israel. I'm, it's been shown once in San Francisco in a record shop and they loved it. But I started sending it to uh, lots of film festivals around the world, mainly uh, music film festivals. I didn't get all the answers yet. Some of them didn't want it to each his own taste. But in Israel, people love it very much, even people who didn't know anything about this music scene. I didn't want to make it only about the music. I mean, it's a lot about the music, but it's a lot about people also, about friendship, about two people with big dreams who went all the way with it and going against bigger forces. I think ultimately that's why the film just flew by for me. It's like a, an hour and three quarters or something, and it just went by very quickly. I mean, partly because I was interested in the music that was going on, but as you say, at its core, it is a story of the friendship of these two guys, and it seemed like the people around them who would do anything to help them with their dream of getting this label running and getting this club running. And it's that human element that really helps make the film, the, the runtime, very, very quick. 
Thank you, and uh, glad to hear it. The drama is important. And certainly in the latter part of the film, we get a little bit of that. But um, ultimately, I still find it a very positive, very uplifting film. Yeah. So what's next for you? Uh, I'm working on uh, different stuff. My main thing is my day job and also this uh, film festival that we're working on. I'm still directing music videos, but I'm still uh, searching for the next big film project. I, haven't, I hadn't found it yet. There were a few uh, things I thought about, but I don't know if it's going to work and I'm still uh, looking for uh... I worked for this movie for like five years it took a lot of me five years on this special film but I'm involved in this uh, music thing and this actually started filming it like 20 years ago so uh it's a big portion of my life. But I'm look, still looking for the next thing that can really get me involved because I, did, I, w- I wouldn't make this film if it wasn't very important to me. I mean, I'm not like this filmmaker for hire that you take and you do this movie about this person and this thing that I'm not connected to, you know. It, I can make these things, but it's not very interesting for me, so... I'm kind of looking to do my own stuff like they did. <laughs> One thing I guess I forgot to ask earlier on, but you brought it up there, said that this is a completely independent film uh, and you haven't found distribution yet. Uh, how was the film financed? Did you do like a, a crowdsource funding thing? Yeah, I did, I did a crowdsource. I uh, managed to get uh, like 60,000 shekels. I don't know how much is this in Australian dollars, but in Israel it's not very a lot, but for a film, but I made most of the thing of this of this film by myself most of the money went to post-production was there a lot that had to be paid out for uh, music copyright sort of thing no or? not a lot actually not yeah. a lot actually because most of the music in this film are is from the bands that in the film that are friends of mine and they waive the rights reviews i had to pay some big record labels because there are a few songs there that they own mm. before the time of uh, fast music so I had to pay them, but most of the music is from fast music. If you do a music documentary, make it about uh, small labels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, I, I hear horror stories. Going forward, what's the future of the film people being able to see it outside of Israel? I mean, besides festivals and the like, is it going to get a streaming release or a DVD release sometime in, in the near future? I don't think uh, DVD release. I'm still showing it different venues in Israel, not only cinemas, but on also a film club and small places everyone wants to see it everyone wants to invite me to show it in this place I'm uh, willing to do so and uh, after that I'm probably getting on streaming BOD well please send me a note when it's available for streaming and I'll certainly be plugging it in the show notes for, for um, or the, in the Facebook yeah, group Amit it's been an absolute treat being able to speak to you and also to having had the privilege to watch your film I really love the film thank you and I'm sorry for my bad English well, your, your, English. your English is way, way better than my Ivrit. So, uh, <laughs> so don't worry. No, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Shana Tova Metuka. Thank you, uh, Happy New Year. Much appreciated. <laughs> okay, uh, you'll listen to episode 101 of See Here Podcast. I'll be back in a minute to talk about what's happening next month for episode 102. <laughs>
once again, my huge thanks to Amit Itzka for taking the time to talk to me about his film, Furious and Fast, the story of fast music and the patiphone. If you want to keep up with details as to when the film will be shown in your neck of the world, then you can look up Amit Itzka's Facebook page. I'll have a link in the show notes for that. And I really recommend that it's something that you look out for. Fascinating film. Okay, so we're now headed for episode 102 of See Here, and Bernie will be back next month. We're going to stop the interview format for a little bit. Don't worry, we will return to it sometime in 2023, but it's time to do a few roundtable episodes. And it's Bernie's pick. So what he has selected for next month is a film from Australian director Bruce Beresford, but it is an American film that he's made. The film is Tender Mercies, starring Robert Duvall. Now, I confess this is one I had not seen. Bernie sent me a message that he wanted to continue on his theme of selecting films about country musicians and how miserable they are. So this seemed to fit the bill. Because we like making this show about a threesome, at least in the sense of three people talking about a film anyway i've invited onto the show a guest who has not been on the program in quite a while she was on the episode that we spoke about the devil and daniel johnson and she was also on the episode who is harry nelson and why is everybody talking about him the guest is film writer kerry gately fristo and she's been on a few episodes of love that album in the interim between those episodes of see here and now being recorded but i thought it was about time that we had a back and apparently tender mercies is a film that she loves quite a lot so i look forward to hearing her perspective what she has to say about the film so that will be in october of 2022 you can reach out to us through the email address seeherepodcast at gmail.com or you can find us at seeherepodcast.blogspot.com you can go to our facebook group that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash see here or you can find us on Instagram at See Here Music and Film, all one word. And we'll put up plenty of pretty pictures from the films that we talk about on the show, and sometimes even some pretty pictures from other music-related films that we haven't covered on the show. It's all for your entertainment. All right, so with that, I hope all is well with all of you listeners. Please spread the word. We'd love to have more people tune in to hear what we have to say, because that's what podcasters are, at least these podcasters are. We're deeply insecure. We need to know that you love listening to the show or even if you hate the show please let other people know they may have a different opinion it's all good Uh, so until next month look after yourselves be nice to each other watch plenty of music related films watch some non-music related films i know in october it's traditional to watch horror films so maybe try and find a few horror films that are music related like black roses or phantom of the paradise but just watch films because that's what we all have a common connection with look after yourself cheers It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 